before your kids leave the nest, they need to know about God's wise blueprints in the sexual area, but they also need to know His blueprint for financial responsibility. Our study leader Dave Wurtson plans to help us to do exactly that as we begin to learn together what Proverbs has to say about money. Let's join Dave as he launches into our discussion on bad debts. We like to stick religion off to the side and lock it up on particular days. But the reality of the matter is that God's holy word walks right into the business world. We've been doing a series on how not to send your kids to the school of hard knocks. And it's for us as adults as well because all of us can easily fall into the school of hard knocks. And so we learn a lot of things from the book of Proverbs that we not only need to share with our children, but we need to share them with our kids as well and with our own lives and grandchildren all the way across the board. One of the things I want you to underscore in your thinking is that in, in the book of Proverbs, there are two fundamental things that Satan's going to use to get your kids. There's two big areas of life that Satan, the evil man, is going to try to use in our own lives. Those two big things are, one, sex. And I know that you're probably getting tired of me talking to you about that, but we have to go through what the Scripture talks about on those areas. And that's a major area that at any given time in our life, if we use it illicitly, if we get involved in it outside the plan of God, then it plunges us into a life of foolishness and a lot of things get messed up. And so as moms and dads, we need to talk to our kids very openly, very realistically about sexual relationships, emphasizing the joy of marital sexual relationship and stressing the plague and the evil of sex outside of the marriage relationship. The other big area which we're going to touch on again today is the area of money. Before you send your kids out to a career or to college, they need to know about money and they need to know about sex. And a lot of us as parents, we really don't think that we need to communicate a lot of valuable lessons. In fact, a lot of us are still up in the air about this area. And sometimes, you know, you mention the word money, and usually we've heard a whole lot in church about money. What we've heard is keep putting money in the plate. But very seldom have we heard about money in the sense of how to work with it and how to handle it right out there in the marketplace. And I think a lot of preachers are always harping about give money, give money, and the problem is their people don't have any money to give because no one's ever taught them wisely from the Holy Scriptures about how to handle our money. And God loves every one of us so much that in this very important area, He hasn't left us to our own devices. Today, we're going to get off of sex. Some of you can say, praise the Lord, we're going to talk about money today. Another good controversial subject. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. And the father talks to his son in this chapter about several practical areas. He talks about bad debts, foolish co-signing in verses 1 through 5. And then in verses 6 through verse 11, he talks about laziness. And then in verses 12 through the end of the chapter, he talks about this scoundrel, this villain, this sting that's trying to get us involved in some real bad investments, maybe even involved in criminal behavior. We want to talk about bad debts. I don't think right now that we need to stress it too hard. I think all of us realize that you can wipe yourself out financially. Banks have been going under. Businesses that we thought would last forever have folded up. 
There's been many that have been wondering about my job. Some of you right now have just been laid off this past week. And so none of us need to have it stressed in our mind how fragile this financial area is. Now, there's nothing we can do in one sense about the turns in the road, the crises that can come up. There can be an, an illness that wipes us out financially. And we can become very you know, much involved in poverty just because of things that have happened that were very much beyond our control. And as we're going to see today, the Scripture is very tender and very gentle towards that kind of need. So there is one kind of financial disaster that we get into that's not our fault. We tried to plan wisely. We saved. We did the kind of things that we could do. But the twist of life can rob us of all of that. And that's why Jesus said, don't put your trust in it, because it can so easily disappear. Now, in saying that, there's another kind of financial disaster that we get into because we're stupid. And that's the honest-to-goodness fact. That's what Proverbs says. Proverbs says there's a kind of poverty you get into because of the twists and the turns of living in a chaotic universe. But there's also financial problems that we get into because we're dumb. And sometimes we're dumb because we're ignorant because mom and dad never really showed us how to handle money. My dad really never sat down and showed me how to work with a checkbook. My school never really showed me how to work with a checkbook. I had to learn that on my own. I learned advanced calculus. I could do calculus. I could make an A in calculus, but you can ask Mary. No one ever really showed me how to balance my checkbook. And that's a real down-to-earth practical illustration of how impractical we can be. So mom and dad, sit down and teach your kids about how to use your checkbook. But we also need to teach our kids about the danger of bad debts. Going surety for someone that you can't rely on. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, focuses on what you do if you enter into a rash promise and you become responsible for somebody else's speculative investment when you really don't know them too well. Now, we're going to come back to chapter 6, 1 through 5, but we first of all need to go to the second half of Proverbs and turn to chapter 11, verse 15, because the father also tells his son and daughter not to get involved in this problem. Don't go surety for someone lightly. Don't co-sign for someone lightly. Turn to chapter 11, verse 15. He who puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands in pledge is safe. In the Old Testament, they would strike hands. The equivalent in our culture would be to shake hands. And so I could translate this. If you co-sign for another, watch out, you'll suffer. Don't shake hands on a deal lightly is the idea. You won't be safe if you do that. Now let's turn over to chapter 17, verse 18. The father talks about this again. A man lacking in judgment. The idea is there, if you lack common sense, you'll shake hands easily in a pledge. And you'll put up security for a neighbor. Now this is not your person that lives next door to you necessarily. Neighbor in the Old Testament is used for an acquaintance, someone that you meet in the business world. So 11, 15, and 17, 18 are stating a general principle. The principle is this. Be careful about pledging to cover someone else's debts. 
Be careful about that. Now, I want to stress something to you. Proverbs are not commands. And the proverb is not saying that you don't ever co-sign in a note. Some of you dads have done that with your sons and enabled your son to get going. And this is a great illustration of what I taught you in the beginning of our study of Proverbs, that you need to understand the nature of the material. Proverbs are not imperatives in the sense that they're commands that you must always obey. If that were so, it would always be wrong to co-sign. Proverbs are principles. They're object lessons. They're like billboards in life. And the billboard I'm giving to you today, if you're a young married couple, if you're a young man or woman getting started in business, if you're a teenager that isn't out there yet, listen, don't co-sign for someone easily. Don't become responsible for someone else's debt lightly. That's the idea. It's a general safety principle in life. If you co-sign for someone, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. You can be responsible for what someone else does. Those of you that are out there in business, the principle would be this. Watch out in the capitalistic system for becoming deeply involved in someone else's speculative investment when you don't have a real good reading on the character of the people that you're backing. You see, all of us are susceptible to the guy that comes with a great deal, with an easy money. Boy, if you invest this, you've co-signed for me with this. Man, we can borrow this money. We're going to make a killing. You can make a fast buck. I want everybody, as soon as somebody says, you can make a fast buck. I want red light. I want an alarm to go off in your mind. For one thing, either way, you're going to lose. If you make a fast buck, it'll kill you because your character's not ready for it. You'll abuse the money, and God holds you responsible for it, and it'll probably tear up a lot of very valuable things in your life. If you don't make a fast buck and you wipe yourself out, you might spend the next 20 years of your life trying to get out from underneath the pile. And this wise man in the book of Proverbs had seen this happen in the ancient world and it's still happening in our own day. He's not saying don't ever be involved in an investment. The Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy talks about having a foreigner that you invest with pay you interest. The Bible is very balanced about this. It really doesn't underscore a social economic system or a capitalistic economic system. It talks about fairness and justice. And it does talk about bargaining and making investments in the marketplace. Don't let someone tell you that Scripture says that interest and investment is always wrong because that's wrong. It's not a balanced view of Scripture. The Old Testament itself, even under the Old Testament law, talked about proper investment. We're not talking about that here. We're talking about foolishly becoming liable for someone else's irresponsibility. Watch out for that. Why? Don't speculate with your daily bread and depend upon mere acquaintances. Turn to chapter 20, verse 16. We developed this idea why we have this warning against foolish speculative investments for someone that we don't really know too well. Verse 16 of chapter 20 begins to focus this discussion a little bit clearer. Take the garment of the one who puts up security for a stranger. Hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward, immoral woman. Now, here's the idea. Back in the Old Testament, there was a story. Judah went out, one of the sons 
that were the original 12 that founded the nation of Israel. Judah was, a, was one of the brothers, one of the sons of Jacob. He went out. And he met a harlot along the road. And the Bible is very straightforward and honest. He got involved with this harlot. He didn't know that the harlot was his own daughter-in-law who should have been given, according to the Old Testament law, in a leveret marriage, but she wasn't. Judah didn't have any money to pay, so he gave her his signet ring and he gave her a goat as a pledge. She got pregnant. It became public before all that Tamar had played the immoral woman. And Judah called everyone out. They're going to have a big, big judgment. And what came out when Tamar took out his signet ring, took out the goat, it was very obvious that Judah, what Judah had done. And Judah hung his reputation. He wiped himself out. Now, a lot of you guys think you can go out there and play around with immorality, and it's not going to cost you anything. Well, I've talked to you a lot about how the fact it will cost you with your body physically but it's going to hurt your pocketbook. You're going to get wiped out by an immoral woman with your pocketbook. You all, whether you're young or whether you're old, there's a vicious game that will be played. You're going to get caught with your pants down and you're going to get bribed. And it can wipe out all your inheritance. What it's saying is you guys and the girls can do the same thing with an immoral man. You meet this individual. You say, man alive, this person loves me like I've never been loved. I'm unhappy at home. My needs really aren't being met. This person is going to do tremendous things for me. So you get involved, and you're just as romantic, and you're just as high as a kite as you can be. The person starts saying that they have some financial needs. So you're going to help. And you're going to help. And so you start co-signing on notes, and you start paying on debts, and what the proverb is saying, if you get caught doing that, go ahead and we'll take the shirt off your back. The Old Testament law ordinarily said if a person made a bad debt and it came down, you see, in the Old Testament, to lose the shirt off your back, to lose your garment, or to lose the mat that you slept on was like ruining everything. It meant you didn't have a place to sleep. And so ordinarily in the Old Testament, if you took someone's garment, if you took their bed that they were going to sleep on, you were supposed to give it back to them before nightfall, lest they sleep on the cold ground that night and cry out to God against you and you face judgment because you're not kind. So ordinarily, if your person made a bad debt, they would at least have a place to sleep in warmth at night because God was kind. If you get involved in this foolish co-signing, God says forget it. We're going to take your garment. We're going to take your bed. You can lump it because you just lacked common sense. So whenever you start to have a stranger come into your life, and the stranger might be someone that you think you really know well. It might be someone you believe you know intimately. In fact, you might even be having illicit relationships with that somebody, and you would swear to me in a counseling session, man, I know them intimately. And I start asking, well, what's their bank account like? What kind of debts do they have? What's their background? Why are they having this relationship with you? You probably don't have the answer to those questions. I, I was talking to somebody recently in another part of the country. We were having a meal together, and they told me one of the most incredible stories you would have ever heard. Their marriage blew up. They got involved with another party. They started having relationships. Man, it was the greatest thing they could ever imagine. Boy, it was so exciting. They were so thrilled. They got married. And man, the person started digging in to their pocketbook. 
And man, this person had just married someone that had the biggest, most whoppingest debts you've ever imagined. And all of a sudden, just like that, all the beautiful romantic gooeyness went right out the window and what we really were working on was money. And this guy's fortune just started to be nibbled away like a little rat eating away at it. Watch out. Watch out. It's saying if you get involved with this kind of problem, taking account for someone else's bad debts, it's just plain old dumb. Turn to chapter 22, verses 26 to 27. It says, don't be a man who strikes hands in a pledge or puts up security for debts, because if you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from underneath you. It underscores what I just said. And this is what it's saying. And this is true of any investment that you make. You don't ever gamble with your bed. You don't ever gamble. When every, every head of household and every person that's in business to listen to me, you don't ever, ever, ever gamble with your house, with your bed, with your clothes, with the necessities of your family. There's some of you in the business world that have the biggest kick at rolling the dice. And that's one of the biggest highs that you can have. One of the biggest highs in life is not necessarily to gamble in Las Vegas. It's to gamble tomorrow morning. And some of you all go in, man, you make $100,000 one day, you'll lose it the next. You make another 200000 the next day, then you lose 300000 And you go through your whole life like this, and you're on a royal roll. Man, it's just fantastic. It's just like playing with dice. But you're killing your wife. Your wife doesn't have any security at all. She never knows what you're going to do. Money just comes flowing right on through. What it's saying is there's nothing wrong with any one of you going out tomorrow. You've got $1,000, and you can lose it. Because you've carefully planned, you have savings in other parts, you have other kind of investments, you do have $1,000 that you can speculate with. You've got someone that you think has a real up-and-coming product, you know their character, you know their track record, you've done a lot of research, you invest $1,000. Proverbs is not saying you don't do that. Man, this is a Jewish book we're reading. The Jews know how to do that really well. But you don't go and mortgage your home to do it. You don't make it so that it's possible your whole family might end up on the street. That's exactly what Proverbs is saying. You don't ever gamble with your basic necessities of life. Proverbs is so wise like that. Proverbs teaches you to slowly accumulate wealth. You don't gain wealth by the roll of a dice. You gain wealth solidly by really investing a lot of hard work building your character, being disciplined, knowing how to save, and slowly accumulating what God wants you to have. And then God gives you the character to go along with it. And you don't roll the dice with that basic bedrock of your financial needs. Now, I don't know zilch. I know very little about finances. But I'm teaching you what Proverbs has said for 3,000 years, and I think some of you in the audience that know a lot about it will be sitting there going, yeah, even the secular world teaches that. And so I'm warning you, you're going to lose your shirt if you make speculative investments with your basic foundation. Isn't God's word kind? Isn't God's word gracious? You know, when you're first married, 
Boy, the guys come out of the woodwork. How many of you, when you first got married, never knew there were so many people that wanted you to invest in all the world? Man, they're coming knocking on your door, and some of you even put signs on your door, do not disturb. There's salesmen, there's a big dog, big, big dog here. Man, they want you to invest in that. They want you to buy that. They want you to get that. And what it's saying is beware. Beware. Don't make emotional knee-jerk decisions in that area. Be very careful. One other verse bringing up this area, chapter 27, verse 13. And then we'll talk about how to get out of it. You say, well, fine, I wish I would have heard that before, but I'm already involved in it. Chapter 27, verse 13. Take the garment of the one who puts up security for a stranger. Hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman. I wanted to read that verse to you because the, that is an identical verse to what I read to you earlier, which shows that twice in this book, God identically repeats himself and says, watch out for taking financial responsibility of the immoral person or someone that you really don't know well. You say, all right, Dave, I got it, but I already did it. They didn't tell me to do that. When I got married, mom and dad didn't sit down and talk to me about that. Some of you that are single say, man, no one ever shared that with me. What do I do once I get into it? Chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. You're sitting there, and you've made yourself responsible for a lot of bad debts, a lot of bad situations. You made agreements that could really cost you your life. What it tells us in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, is how to get out of it. If you enter into a bad agreement, you make a bad economic promise, it tells you to do this. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you've struck hands in pledge for a foreigner, it's possible this verse is saying this. You've got a Phoenician who's a foreigner. The second word used in this verse in the, in the Hebrew is a word that's often used for a foreigner for someone that's outside the usual flow of relationships. So in the ancient world, the Phoenicians were the wheeler-dealers. So you've got a Phoenician wheeler-dealer that has a special deal for your friend. He's your neighbor in the first part. And your neighbor wants you to go on the note with him to cover this speculative investment that the Phoenician's going to make. So that's kind of a deal. You're going to help your friend with this special deal, and then everyone's going to make a big buck. That's the idea of it. If you become trapped by what you said and sneered by the words of your mouth. There's some precious wives here that just cringe in this kind of a situation because big hubby sits there and takes all this in. And man, he listens, boy, and it sounds like the greatest deal in the world. Man, this is going to be it. I know husbands, they pick up their whole family, they move. This is going to be the greatest deal. I cringe when I hear that. Man, I'll meet with a guy and I'll say, man, this is the greatest company. They're offering me the greatest deal. Man, it's gonna, this is the one chance that I ever have. And this dear wife is crying inside. She says, well, I don't think it's such a good idea. Do you know enough about this company? Do you really know this individual? Are you going to invest your whole life into this situation? They say, oh, yeah, this is it. And, man, I rejoice with them because I don't know what else to do. And about two months later, they lost their job. And then we cry again. And this time they're in a foreign area. They're away from mom and dad. They're away from all their relatives. But you know what I'm talking about? That think, boy, I'm going to find the answer over there. But sometimes that really is the answer. But it's saying you be careful not to do it rashly. Don't do it lightly. Don't think the grass is going to be greener over there and get yourself overly committed in a special speculative deal. What do you do if you get trapped by what you say? Do this, my son, verse 3. To free yourself since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go, humble yourself, pressure, plea with your neighbor. 
Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. You know, ordinarily, Scripture tells us to be self-controlled, to be dignified, to be very much in a sober person. But every once in a while, Scripture tells you that you got to go bananas. If you make a bad business deal, and it's really bad, and it could cost you your cloak off your back, you could lose your shirt. It says don't go to bed. It's saying don't do anything else, but you go to the person, and the word that's used here is trample on yourself. The idea is you get down on your knees, and you beg, you plead, you, you holler, you get down there and you humble yourself and you swallow all your pride and you bug that person to death until you get out of it. Because a lot of people will not give in, won't let you out because you're nice, because you're kind, but they will if you bug them enough. So if you're in this kind of thing, man, you go to their office, you call on the phone, you get down on your knees, you beg, plead, and some of you might even have to get a good lawyer because you get in so deep. What it's saying is you've got to do as quickly as you can, get out of it. I know a lady that it relates to this kind of thing. I sold books when I was in college. Horrors, what I did. No, it was a good experience for me, but it was really easy to be unethical. I had a friend of mine was the best salesman I ever met. In fact, he took 250 college guys and got them to sign up after 10 weeks of working on the book field for 75 hours a week. He got 250 guys to sign up all over again for the next summer, which was dumb because we didn't know what a year would bring by. This guy was unbelievable. In fact, he was so powerful. You know, some of those book salesmen that come by your house really just need a drink of water because they haven't even had any water. They're so poor. And you need to be kind to them. But I want to tell you something. Some of those book salesmen that come by make more money than you would have ever imagined. My friend made twenty dollars and $30,000 in 10 weeks. Back 15 years ago. More than that. I mean, a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you. And my friend one day was waxing eloquent. A precious wife. They had saved up. For a whole year, $350, which back then was a lot of money you could go on vacation. My friend came by and said, man, do you have family devotions with your kids? Boy, we really don't. Everyone's on a guilt trip about that, man. You got them. Man, I've got this perfect set of books for you. You'll be able to sit down every night with your kids, be able to open it up and have family devotions. And the books were excellent. And I've still got them and I've used them. They're really excellent. But my friend talked that lady into buying three or four of those sets, and she gave her $350 for the vacation. They were going to leave that night and she gave my friend $350. And her husband didn't like it. Now how do you get out of that kind of a deal? You call the guy up and you scream and you holler and you beg and you plead and you make him give your money back, which my friend had to do. He had to go back that night and give her back the money. Because in Texas, I might be wrong, but I think you can get out of those kind of deals. Legally, you can get out. Am I right? That's what Proverbs is saying. You're going to have someone come by. It might be in the area. See, now there's some really good salesmen out there. And I put myself through two years of college selling books. I don't want anybody to think that I think that the whole thing is, is wrong. It isn't. 
But there's guys out there. My friend was the best salesman I've ever met as far as persuasive power. He was hypnotic. But you know what? He didn't know when he was lying. He was an evil man. He was so deceived, he'd sold himself a sales pitch so much, he didn't know when he was giving you a pitch and when it was not the truth and when it was just plain old lying. And that kind of a person can be very powerful. If you don't think it's true, you're going to meet some people like that. They can look you in the eye. Their tongues are like, they're a silver-tongued order. And they are persuasive. They have a personality that you just can't believe. And they've got the perfect deal. They've got the special way for you to get out from underneath your abject poverty. A fantastic way for you to take those savings that you've toiled over. And they can multiply them just like that. You can make a buck like you wouldn't imagine. And man, you give in. And you lose your shirt. And I want every one of you to go on warning. As of this day, you were warned. When anybody comes to you and says, I got a special deal, you're going to make a fast buck. What goes off in our mind? Ding, 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 alarm, alarm, alarm. Red light, red light. I got to at least talk to my wife about it. Got to at least talk to my husband about it. Got to at least take a week. Got to find out some things. Oh, please listen. It'll save you an awful lot of grief. Okay, does that mean that we're just cautious? We never help anybody? No, let's balance it a little bit. You say, Dave, should I never, never give? All these verses talk about lending freely. I want to challenge you. If you've got money and the Lord's blessed you, and I want to share with you, because some of you are really gifted to make money. But some of you constantly in the evangelical community, you got this gift to make money, but you're constantly being dumped on. Because it's a bad thing to make money, according to a lot of people. I want to share with you, that is totally unbiblical. Joseph of Arimathea had a lot of money. Praise God. He had a place for Jesus to be buried because he had a lot of money. And he went down in church history as being a gracious, kind, gentle man who knew how to use money to do tremendous good. The tomb of the Savior was in his garden. Nothing wrong with money. Abraham was a wealthy man. Evidently, Paul might have even had money from his background. From time to time, there's an insinuation. He was able to cover the vow which was an expensive thing near the end of his life in Jerusalem. There's nothing wrong with money. Some of you guys are really gifted. Some of you girls are really gifted to make a lot of money. That's a trust that God has given you. And I want to share with you. Lend it freely. Lend it freely. Now, what does that mean to lend it freely? It doesn't mean to lend it stupidly. It doesn't mean that every brother in Christ that comes along or every sister in Christ that comes along for every harebrained investment you can ever imagine, whether it's drilling for something in the Holy Land or buying diamonds, whatever it might be, it doesn't mean that you're, you're obligated to meet all those needs. But there's a lot of you older men and older, and older ladies that have been in business a long time. There's young people trying to get started. Proverbs in the Old Testament is saying, lend freely. You know what it means to lend freely? Lend when it won't hurt you to totally lose it. Now, when I stress it again, you know what? One of the best ways to lend out money is to lend it expecting to get nothing back. If you get it back, praise God. But I lend it and I can stand it if I totally lose it. It's a great way to do it. Because if I were to ask, how many of you have been really wiped out by fellow believers? A whole lot of you would raise your hand. In fact, there's businessmen in Dallas that won't do business with believers because they haven't kept their word, 
because they've messed them. In fact, some of you have been in court cases with dear, darling believers that you thought were so honest and straightforward. And some of you become bitter over that. Now, when I share with you, don't ever enter into a lending kind of situation where if you lose it, you've had it. That's foolish lending and foolish co-signing. You don't risk your shirt. That's the principle. If you're going to lend to somebody, if you have the wherewithal, you decide, I could lend this, and if I totally lose it, I can still meet the needs of my family, I can do what I need to do, and I can freely lend. If this person has character and it's time to test it, and they work hard and they make their investment good, then I've got a business associate I can depend upon the rest of my life. If they prove to not be a person that's dependable and I lose my money, I've carefully thought it through and the money I can say, well, Lord, I lended it to you. You make it up to me in heaven, but I have done what was wise for my family here in the earth. That's the principle the scripture talks about. Lend freely to fellow believers and expect nothing back. Luke's gospel tells us that we should do that for fellow believers without interest would really encourage you to do that, especially in this situation. Now, not over a business speculative capital investment. That's something in a totally different category. Suppose you have a believer that comes and they're really in need. I mean, they are really hurting. They need a loan. And it's, you've analyzed it. You've talked to them. You've sat down and got to know them, maybe with some other people that have real skill in business. You've been able to share with this family. And it's clear that they really have a need. What it's saying is don't use their time and need to make a buck. As believers, we never use a time of need to make a buck. It's wrong to do that for a fellow believer. Don't ever do it. You know, one of the most gracious things that I ever heard of a church doing, Waxhatchee Bible Church is, a, is very much a part of us. They're one of our sister churches, and we praise God for what God is doing there. You know how they got their building? Another church family sold them that building and told them no interest. And that's why they're able to buy the building. We said, why no interest? And they said, because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. We never charge interest in the family. I praise God. I think that was a, a marvelous example of love. You don't have to do that. You're not obligated to do that. But if we're living as sons and daughters of the kingdom of Jesus, he says, lend freely. You know what Jesus said in Luke? He said, listen, if you lend to people in need and they pay you back with interest, don't ever pat yourself up in the back. I can get any unbelieving man that has any goodwill in their heart to do that. In fact, I can get an unbelieving man or an unbelieving woman that doesn't have any goodwill at all in their heart. They're just plain hard-nosed business people that realize if you're gracious, it helps to loan me money if I pay them 10% interest. There's nothing big time about living in God's kingdom doing that. So don't pat yourself up in the back. Give freely, especially to believers that are in need. Quickly, a couple other things. One of the best ways to meet need is just give it away freely. In fact, this is one of the safest ways because it protects you. It protects you from being let down when people don't come through. A lot of times when you're exposed to a need, now don't ever give to a need because you feel guilty. Don't give in the Christian life out of obligation. You have been set free from the laws of obligation. You have been set free with the laws of love. So whenever someone makes you feel guilty, wait a minute. 
Wait a day. Wait a week, please. Don't give out a guilt. Let your guilt be thought through. You ask yourself, Heavenly Father, is this a need that you would have me to meet? And then if it's not out of guilt, but you say, Lord Jesus, your love is flowing within me. I really feel I'd like to meet this need. Then you make a clear-cut decision. You make a free decision over what you're going to give to meet that need. And I would challenge you, don't let other people know what you're going to do. I hate it. I hate these fundraising things. When someone stands up and says, well, I'll give 10000 You give ten, i I'll give ten. I hate that. Why should someone else's giving have anything to do with my giving? My Lord says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. My giving needs to be totally between me and the Lord. And your giving needs to be very much between you and the Lord. But what I would challenge you, as needs arise, as needs arise, you make a decision about what you can do to meet that need. It might just be $5. $5 is better than nothing. Make a free decision. I can afford to give away this $5 to meet that need. And then do it as a gracious, joyous offering to the Lord, expecting nothing back. One final thing to tie into this whole thing about bad debts. I want you to turn to 22.7. Proverbs chapter 22.7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. Always remember that. The borrower is the servant to the lender. And I've been praising the Lord because a lot of you have been coming to me, and a lot of you have started climbing up out of debt. And that's a fantastic thing to do. A good way to determine about your debt is if you were to liquidate all your assets, if you were to liquidate all your assets, would you have a shirt on your back? Would you have the basic needs of your family met? Would you have your home? Or could you get a home? Maybe not as nice as what you have now, but you could liquidate your assets and you could be home free. Whenever someone is challenging, hey, you can go in debt, you always ask yourself, if I liquidate everything, can I come out with enough so I don't lose my shirt and the shirt of my family. Because remember what we started out with today? We never gamble with our daily bread. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And right now we're learning. That's a very gracious thing for Jesus to do. For a long time we took it for granted. I think a lot of you have started really praying and thanking God. Lord, thanks a lot for a meal. Thanks a lot for the clothes that you give. Thanks a lot for transportation. Thank you for a home. It's not an easy thing for us to be able to depend upon our Heavenly Father for our daily bread. Jesus, our Heavenly Father, will provide your daily bread. But don't speculate with it. You got me? That's what I've been telling you today. David and Mary and all my brothers and sisters, don't speculate with your daily bread. Don't get in bad debts. Don't you enter and make a vow to be responsible for someone else's speculative investment. There's one debt I'll never be able to pay, and that's the debt of my sin. You see, there's one debt that I owe that I could never pay. But Jesus covered it all. Calvary covered it all. And one of the images that Scripture uses in God's holy word to talk about our salvation is the image of having an unbelievable debt, a bad debt. It's a debt of sin that could never, never be paid by ourselves unless we went to hell forever and ever. But on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ 
co-signed the note for us. He didn't co-sign the note. He paid the note in full. He just took our place and paid our sin account, paid in full. Dave writes a weekly letter of encouragement to our entire Truth Encounter family, and to many have called and written to share how this has powerfully encouraged them. It would be a privilege for us to serve you in this way, and you can simply go to truthencounter.com and register for the weekly letter, or if you wish, for Dave's daily devotional. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Dave Wurtzen. That's Dave, W-Y-R-T-Z-E-N.